for next weekend over in uh, Florida, Dover, Florida. Takes me a minute to remember there. And uh, she was mentioning that Lavanya was going to be down there, what have you. And I said, well, let's make sure we get together, but we'll pray for her as well. What am I doing in Florida on this day? I know that you're, I've had people ask me that question, like, isn't there like a better day? We had a, we had a terrible flight with Frontier uh, in October. It was like six hours delayed, and they gave us a food $15 voucher at the airport, and they gave us free tickets. And you had to use them up in 90 days. So we thought, we'll go up and see Wendy. We weren't thinking clearly, obviously we're getting older, that when we were thinking about coming up in, in, uh, in this month, January. So that's what brought us up here to see Wendy. And Matt came up from D.C. and he was with us this morning. We all went to church. So we had uh, time to get together. And then he quickly left. I said, look, you better get back on the road. We didn't even catch lunch together because he wanted to make sure that you get nighttime. You don't know what you're on. It's one thing to drive on the daytime. So he got back safely. I said, text me when you get there. That's what my mom used to say to me, and they ignored me. But uh, he, followed, uh, he followed the directions and said, we're back here safely. Always good to be back at faith. So many people here. Uh, in fact, let, let, let me just say, the word, Pastor Walker, thank you for just inviting me. I, I, he didn't even know I was coming. Somewhere he found out I was coming and called me and, uh, or texted me and said, hey, I hear you're going to be up here. Do you want to speak? And I said, you, I said to Ruth, where did he find out that I was going to be up here? And, uh, and so I said, absolutely, and I, I appreciate the opportunity and your kindness and uh, opening up the door for me to speak here. It's always a pleasure. Uh, let, let me characterize my feelings toward Faith Baptist Church. Just before the service, we went over to see Tony DeQuinzio. He's clear-minded. He's able to get around yet, yeah, barely, but he's able to get around, and uh, his wife, Lucy. And we, we had just, I don't know, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes we were there, maybe an hour and just had just a time of rejoicing. And I said to myself, I said, Tony really epitomizes Faith Baptist Church. He is what the people are of Faith Baptist Church. Just in love with the church, in love with the ministry, rejoicing over the time and the years he was here, directing music. And, uh, and when I saw him, I thought, this is Faith Baptist Church. This is just like it. 95 years old, married 71 years. Yeah, really. I said, may the Lord give me this many years as you, Tony, with such a clear mind. Because she's asking about Ben and how's Ben. I mean, he's asking about people, et cetera, and talking about individuals. He goes, oh, I'm sorry to hear about Sam uh, Lamoth. I mean, he just was up on all that was taking place and able to talk about it. And that really, he, he just epitomizes his love and his heart for Faith Baptist Church here. Uh, let me begin by this statement. We behave the way we do because we think the way we do. And if you want to change your behavior, you have to change your thinking. Now, you can force changes of behavior, but if you want real change in behavior, you have to change the way you think. You have to change. In fact, if you want to change someone else's behavior, your children's behavior, you have to change the way they think. Now, there are many passages in the Bible which give us the conversation of the individuals involved. You can find it in the Gospels. You can find it clearly in the Old Testament where the conversation of what they said is included. Now, the importance of knowing the conversation is this. It's that the conversation tells us what they're thinking. If we didn't have the conversation, we wouldn't know what they're thinking. It'd be like this scenario. We're all together. Imagine this at Faith Baptist Church. This has probably happened many times, Pastor. We're all kind of together talking about a problem, and we're, we're all kind of trying to decide what, what should we do about the situation. And one individual, imagine, is just standing there saying nothing. 
And finally, I look over, Pastor Walker looks over, looks over and says, well, what are you thinking about what we should do? Well, why wouldn't Pastor Walker or why wouldn't I know? It's because they haven't said anything yet. Now, they can say things different ways. They could just, if we were talking about a project which involved physical labor, as we're talking, they may just go over, pick up a shovel, and start digging. And I go, I guess that's their answer. I guess we better just start addressing it. Or they could say something. But as soon as they begin talking, we now know what their thinking is. And see, that's the value of Scripture. If we can see the conversation. So the Lord has done this. He has purposefully chosen the Lord God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and directing people to write scripture has chosen to include conversations at times. And when you read the conversations, the Lord's saying, look at what they said. Look, look at what took place. Look what happened. And so we're going to look at a passage about the life of David in 1 Samuel 30. And the Lord's going to say, notice the conversation. Because it's the conversation which gives us an understanding of what David is thinking. And we need to know what David is thinking. And the reason we need to know what David is thinking is because David is a man after God's own heart. And if you want David's heart, and if you want God's heart, you have to think like David. It's not a matter of just behaving like David. You have to... see. If you want to face a Goliath, you have to think like David. And so you can go back, and David's talking, isn't he? And when he talks about Goliath, you can see what his thinking is, because it is his thinking which causes him to do what he does. You could go back and look at Joseph. Joseph talks to his brothers in Genesis 45, and he talks to his brothers in Genesis 50. Joseph, how did you make it? How come you don't hold a bitter attitude toward your brothers? He goes, well, let me tell you. And so his thinking is revealed to us when he says, I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many alive. And in chapter 50, he says, am I God that I decide? I'm not God. God will have to figure out what you guys did and what the motivations were. But you see, as he talks, you get to understand his thinking. If you don't want a bitter spirit, start thinking like Joseph. How do you think like Joseph? Well, listen to what he said. Because the reason he behaves the way he does is because he thinks the way he does. So we're going to be in chapter 30, but we've we've got to get there. And this is not just filler. It's it's just part of what you need to know. David, in chapter 27, verse 1, has decided in 27.1 that the only thing he can do is run for his life. Even though Saul looks like he's relented, he has not relented. Saul is going to still try to kill David. And David realizes that. And so in 27.1, David said in his heart, God says, now, hey, I want to show you what he was saying to himself. He said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now, when you think that way, you're going to behave that way. Here's what David's saying is, Saul will kill me sooner or later. I want to tell you, David, don't think that way. Because you're going to behave a certain way. When you start thinking that there are dead ends, you're in trouble. David is thinking, this is dead end. I only, I only have one option. You never have only one option. Not with God, you don't only have one option. He says, but see, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me. And so he runs to the city of Gath. Yes, Goliath of Gath. (laughs) 
he runs to King Achish, and he's good friends with King Achish. You may not realize that, because last time he showed up at the city gate, you remember what happened? He was clawing all of a sudden. But he was really, they weren't about to kill him, but he started getting frightened all of a sudden. But now he's back, in, and he spends quite a bit of time here with the king of Gath, Achish. And so he runs into the land of the Philistines. And he was right, by the way. Look at verse 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he saw no more again for him. It worked. And so in chapter 27, he begins living in Ziklag. And then all the way through 27 and through 28 and through 29, he gets himself in a terrible situation. Because when you think there are dead ends in life and you start thinking that way, you're, gonna, you're thinking wrong and you're going to behave wrong. And so he gets himself in trouble. The king of Gath says, hey, by the way, we're going to fight Israel today. Come on along. And it's only by God's preventative grace, were it not for grace, David would have been dragged into this battle. But God prevented him through a whole series of events to end up. And you can read that. You ought to read the Bible. It's really interesting. And through a whole series of events, David ends up not having to go to battle with Achish. Achish sends him back as, I'm sorry, David. He goes, yeah, I feel bad about it too, liar. But anyway, he, he, uh, he ends up going back to Ziklag. And that's where we find him in chapter 30. He has traded off his problems, which is usually what happens when you end up doing what David did, not thinking right. But in chapter 30, David is now on his way back to Ziklag. And that's where we are. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. David's outpost is Ziklag. The whole army has moved to Ziklag. Somehow, Achish says, hey, I got a small town there. It's called Ziklag. Uh, you can have it if you want all your men to stay there and all your families. And so this became the home of David and his army and all his men. And they're walking back now to Ziklag, being by, delivered by God's grace, they're walking back, and all of a sudden, they, apparently they see the smoke rising, but when they get there, they realize the whole city has been burned down to the ground. Here, the Amalekites have invaded while the army was away, all the men were away. The Amalekites, it says, had invaded, and they took everything, and they had taken women captive that were in it. They slew not any, either great or small. Isn't God gracious? And carried away and went on their way. And when David gets there, he realizes they burned with fire. They took their wives, their sons, their daughters. You can imagine this. We don't live in this kind of culture. But you could imagine tonight someone invading your house and taking your wife and kids and you not knowing where they are and what's happened and many other families. People live in that situation every day in this world. They don't know they'll be alive tomorrow. That's a reality with many, not with us. We're insulated from that. But that's what's happened with David. And so David's two wives were taken, it says, and David was greatly distressed. The people spoke to him. They said, we ought to kill David for doing this. He's responsible. He got, what's the stupid story he got involved in with the king of Achish and Ziklag? He's the one responsible. But see, David does this, verse 7, because God is gracious. And David said to Abiathar, you should have called Abiathar, by the way, when you decided to move to Ziklag. You should have got Abiathar with the ephod, which was a vet. I don't know how the whole thing worked, but somehow the ephod gave him the ability to discern the will of God. So now he's back in his clear thinking, 
And David says, get the ephod, Abiathar. Another whole story with Abiathar, by the way. And the priest, the priest, Elimelech's son, Elimelech was killed at Nob. That's another whole wild story. I pray thee, bring me here the ephod. And Abiathar brought there the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, here's my question, Lord. Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I chase them down? Number one, shall I overtake them? He's got two questions. Should I go after them? And if I do, will I catch up with them? And he answered, God answered, pursue, yes. And not only that, you will overtake them. And then God, this question wasn't asked. But God's going to now encourage David. David, you're sitting hiding out with the Philistines. And God says, were it not for grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. God says, you'll not pursue him. You will overtake him and you will recover everything. Wow. So David takes off while he's pursuing them. God not only ordains the end, he ordains the means. And so they come across an Egyptian. Because in God's providential program, normal, ordinary, plain, vanilla events take place, which are all part of his unseen plan in our lives. And he comes across an Egyptian who used to be part of the invading group into Ziklag. They see the Egyptian. They go, who are you? He goes, I was with an army who invaded Ziklag. David goes, what did he just say? Bring him over here. He goes, which way did they go? He goes, I'll tell you if you don't kill me. And don't give me back to them because they'll kill me. <laughs> he goes, you got a deal. We won't kill you and we won't turn you over to the Amalekites. Which way did they go? He goes, that way. And so they chase that direction. They overtake him and they're having a party. They're dancing, they're drinking, they're rejoicing. They have just taken out Ziklag and they're having a party in verse 16, literally. Because they have taken great spoil. And then it says in verse 17, and David smote them from the twilight. David attacks. I want to know more about this. What was your strategy? What was your plan? How did you go about this? You all of a sudden see him in camp, and you attack him. And he, and he chases him, and he from morning, it says, from the evening to the next day, not one of them escaped except, now why is this put in there? Except 400 camel riders. 400 jeeps got away. That's what we'd say today. I mean, they were, I mean, some of the soldiers were going, boy, I would have liked that Jeep for my wife. She can have my old me. I like she my old one. You know, here are the camels. That, that was the Jeep of the day. 400 riders get away. There's a reason for putting that in there. And so except for 400 young men who rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all the Amalekites that carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything they had taken to them. David recovered all. Of course he did. God told him he would. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before the other cattle and said, this is David's spoil. That's where we are right now. Now, what's going to happen surprises us. Because when you read the account now, you're surprised by what takes place. You, you, you have to realize how large the army was that they overcame. They, they started with 600 men. They went after the Amalekites with 600 men, but they got to the river Besor, and 200 men say, can't make it over. If we tried to ford the river, we will die trying to cross the river. We will stay on this side of the river and keep the baggage and four, uh, 200 of them and 400. So with 400 men, they take out the entire Amalekite. And I want to tell you, it was a big army. Because if you had 400 camel riders, how many soldiers do you think you had? You think you just had 400? 
800, 1,200, 1,500? I imagine a lot, because this, this was just your Jeep brigade. And so God wants to say, 400 camel riders, you realize what they were facing? This was a top echelon. This was a small elite group. But the, the massive soldiers, they just took out, with 400 men, they just took out the Amalekites. And, of course, everybody is rejoicing over what's taken place. And so what now happens is what we want to look at. And David came to the 200 men. See, 200 men were left behind. You can read about those 200 men. Look at uh, 30, verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. Well, what, what do you mean left behind? David pursued he and the 400 men, but he goes, I need to tell you, the 200 men abode behind, who were so faint that they could not go over. If, they, if, you try to, if they, we try to go over, they're saying, we can't make it. We'll die. We'll sink. We'll drown. So 400 go over. So David returns now. And David came to the 200 men on the other side of the river of Besor, who were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David. So David's coming back with his 400 men and all the spoils. All, everything, this, everybody's rejoicing. They're all getting back together. Husbands, wives, children. You know what that looks like. They are crying. They are weeping. They are rejoicing. Their whole family, not one of their wives died, not one of their children. They got back that family ring. They got back everything. They're rejoicing. And then you don't expect what happens. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when they, that is the 200 men, and they came near to the people. He greeted them. He go, hi, we did it. Then answered all the wicked and, wicked and worthless men. I didn't think there were any wicked and worthless men. David, you got wicked and worthless men in your army? Now, we're going to find out why they're called wicked and worthless. They're good men, except they're called wicked and worthless men because look at their attitude. Then answered all the wicked and worthless fellows of those who went with David and said, here's, here's what they're saying. God says, now watch what they say. And then watch what David says in response because if you follow their conversation, you'll get their thinking. This is the thinking of wicked and worthless men. Because they went not with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man his wife and his children. They basically said this, 200 men, you just be glad you got your family back, okay? The rest of the stuff is ours. You just be happy and go on your way. And of course, when those witnesses, see, that's why they're wicked and worthless men, because they have showed they have showed their selfishness. And I want to tell you, it's a deep selfishness. And I want to show you how deep the selfishness is by just pointing to the facts of the passage. First of all, they're saying that to 200 men who have traveled with them, who have fought with them, who have lived with them. These are not strangers. These 200 aren't strangers. Some of these men fought with you and saved some of your lives. While someone had to sword up, they killed him before they killed you. These are some of your companions in war. These are your fellow warriors. And you're saying, you just be glad you got your family back. The rest of the stuff is ours. Let me show you the depth even further. The men could not, not would not. That's a big difference. They could not get across the river. It's, that they, it's not that they, didn't, that they would not fight. It's that they didn't have the strength to fight. 
they weren't against the battle. If they had to, they would have. If they could have, they would have. But they knew this, we can't because of our age or because of our strength or because of our weaknesses. But it's even deeper than that. Even when you are rejoicing. Listen, everybody is rejoicing. And while you're rejoicing, you look at them and say, you just be glad you got your wife and kids back, okay? You go, really? I mean, you just got your, your own wife and kids back yourself. You're in the middle of rejoicing, and you can look at these 200 men. But, but it's even deeper than that. Look at the abundance. They're in abundance. They got abundance. Listen, if they had 400 camel riders, that means, listen, you, I don't know if you remember the Gulf War. The, the ability to carry the provisions necessary going through the land, the logistics involved of the military to follow an army and keep them fed because they go on their stomachs. You need to feed these men. They're putting out energy every day. Here, you got 400 cameras. How, how many sheep do you think they got going? How many lambs? How, many, how much cattle? I mean, they, they got a food supply here. They've got flocks with the army to keep everybody fed and everybody, and they got bakeries running and bread going. They're doing everything they can to feed this army of the Amalekites. And now you get all that spoil by the hundreds of sheep and cattle. And you're looking at these 200 men. You don't have enough. You don't have enough, and you got to say to them, you know, hey, you, you just be glad you got your family and children back. Wow. See, you see the depth of the selfishness? It's, it's a deep selfishness that you could say that. By, by the way, it also makes this point, doesn't it? That even though you can travel with David, you can never get his heart necessarily. You don't get his heart because you, you're a companion with him. You would think all David's men, there aren't worthless men who think like this, are there? Not with David. Oh, yes, there are. We could go through scripture, couldn't we, and look at companions who are mismatched. Some are matched. Ananias and Sapphira matched. <laughs> Both are the same. Elisha and Gehazi, mismatched. David and Saul, mismatched. David and Jonathan, matched. <laughs> but, you know, here are worthless men. I don't know how many of them, but they're worthless men. But watch what David says now. Because David is going to argue. He's going to talk to us. Then said David... You shall not do so, my brethren. Now, look at the passage for me, and I'm going to just move quickly. Watch. Then said David, you shall not do so, my brethren. Verse 24 in the middle. But as his part is who goeth down to battle, so shall his part be who tarrieth by the baggage. They shall divide alike. He could have just said that. He could have just said, sorry, guys, ain't happening, okay? Everybody share the spoil, the end. But he doesn't. God says, I want you to show, I want to show you what David says, though. He doesn't just command it. He doesn't just say, this is what's happening. It isn't happening. We share and share alike, the end, divided up guys. And he could have said that. And that would have been done. Instead, God says, look what he did say. You shall not do so, my brethren. With that, now look, look at, here's his first comment. The Lord did this. The Lord did this. With that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. The Lord did this. See, the reason he behaves the way he does is because he thinks the way he does. This is of the Lord. The Lord did this. That makes all the difference. Because where it comes from 
controls its use. Where it comes from controls its use. Once you decide where it came from, then you can decide where it ought to go. Now, all comes from God, right? Amen? It does, right? We all do agree? Give us this day our daily bread. It all comes from God. The provisions of life come from God. But listen, there are common, ordinary, regular things that come from God. You get a paycheck that came from God's goodness to you, to me, right? But those are the common, ordinary, regular events of life. But there are some events which happen which you have to say, wow. And that's what David's pointing at. Listen, he recognizes that everything comes from God, but that's not the point he made. He says, I want to tell you, this victory is supernatural. And when you go, wow, you open that envelope up and you go, that's three times what I thought they were going to give me. Or, wow, where'd that come from? God says, huh? Where'd that come from? Well, I worked for it. No, you didn't. This, this is like, all well, see, because where it comes from matters. And when, when God does things in your life in which you can say, wow, that's God, what did you just do? Really? You're sliding out of control on ice, headed for a telephone pole, and you stop one inch away. I want to tell you, I'm going, wow. God says, hey, by the way, your next car payment, could you not give me $300? Because you would have been paying for a new car payment now. See, because there are things which are not the regular, ordinary events of life. Oh, listen, thank God for them and, and be right about it and, and be honest about it and what you do with it and how you, but I want to tell you, here's what David's saying is, you can't explain what happened. We had 400 men and we took them out. And we didn't lose a thing. Explain that. And the answer is, God. Isn't everything God? Yeah, but this is God. (laughs) This is really God. Because there are events in which you have to say, this is really God. And God says, well, what should you do with it then? But you didn't plan on that, did you? Didn't plan on getting that, did you? What should you do with it? Because when our provision is found outside of the common and ordinary of life, when he provides out of the common and ordinary and the extraordinary, you ought to say, Lord, i got to remember where this case had to be from you. It's the only explanation for it. But then David says this. He goes, and I'm going to publicly and purposefully argue the case. He's, see, he does this publicly and pur- purposefully. And he says this. You shall not do so, my brethren. And David not only says it, he's going to make it public. For who will, verse 24, well, who will hearken unto you in this matter? He says, I want to go public about this issue. I want to make this statement known to everybody here. He goes, I'm going to argue the case. Can I suggest there's a good reason to argue the case? David didn't have to argue the case. He could have just jumped straight down and said, share and share like the end. But he says, I want to argue the case publicly so everybody understands this. Because it matters whether you argue the case. Because it's arguing the case which changes the thinking of men. See, there are, there, there are at least three groups of people there. People like-minded, like David. Some people in the middle, like, mm-hmm. And the worthless ones. And David says, I want to argue the case publicly and pers- purposefully because I want to change, I want to persuade, I want to reinforce what is right. 
And so I'm going to stand up right now and say, think a minute, where did this come from? And another reason you want to argue the case, and listen, you better learn how to argue the case. If you're raising children, you better learn how to argue the case because you want to put your thinking into their minds. Not just your behavior, you want your thinking in their minds. You want them what? Because when you argue the case, now a couple men after they go, okay, share and share alike, and one of them's murmuring, and they're going like, no, this was the Lord. See, when I argue the case, now that case will be repeated. <laughs> and when someone starts moving away from it, the answer is no, I heard the argument. See, I'd like to argue the case on some issues. I'm so tired of churches which cancel church on Super Bowl Sunday. There are churches which cancel all the time. Mother's Day, Father's Day, July 4th. I happen to know of some. Not here. We know what our history is. You know, and, and, and here's what's... I, I wish I could get to argue the case sometimes. You know, sometimes... Because here's what's said sometimes. We're not having church now on uh, Father's Day or Mother's Day or July 4th or Labor Day or Veterans Day or Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, yeah. I get to watch you, Pastor. We're always watching. We get to see some people here. I loved your message just the last two weeks, what have you. Uh, because you prayed. That was one of them, wasn't it, just two weeks ago. Why, why do I listen to some of those? Because I skip church? No, I don't skip church. I tune in here. I'd like to get up and argue the case, though. Because, see, the case is made this way. We would like to make sure you have family time during this holiday weekend. Turn off your TV if you want family time. Is that a good argument? That's a good argument, isn't it? You want to complain about family time? Get the checkerboard out, turn your TV off, get outside, go play ball, shoot basketball, do something if you want family time. How stupid this is. So I'd like to argue the case. I'd like to argue the case about alcohol. I'd like to argue the case about dress. I'd like to, give me the chance, I'll argue the case, because it's when you argue the case that you're trying to persuade and push, and you're hoping that someone repeats what you said. Because it's always good to be good. Where'd you learn that? <laughs> I want that stuck in your mind because it is always good to be good. Why we do it? Because it's good to be good. Because you want that repeated when someone says, you see, David's going to argue the case publicly. He wants to say, hey, come on, men, let's argue the case. God did this. And I hope when someone dissents, he go, David was right. God did this. Look at it. Because sometimes people aren't thinking. And when they start thinking, all of a sudden they go, well, really? And you, you better do that with your children, by the way. You better argue the case around the table, not just say we don't do this. Now, listen, there are things you say we don't do. They're too young to understand. You know, so, you know, you don't go this, you don't do that. Whatever. But there comes a time in which, you, listen, I want to argue the case with my kids. I don't care if I win the argument. I will later on when they get married and have kids. I will win. <laughs> you know that's true, don't you? They just need kids. They'll be saying the same thing you're saying. They don't like what you're saying now, but they'll be repeating it. But see, David wants to argue the case, but, but, but also this. He, he says this, who will hearken to you? He says, verse 24, but who will hearken unto you? You see, God says, you see what David's saying? He's saying, don't you understand where this came from? This is God. And I want to go public. I want to make this argument. I'm not going to just say, I want to go public, and I want to just tell you and I want to make the argument to you right here in public. And he says, and men, who will hearken to you? We would say it this way. Let's take a church vote. Let's take a church vote. I think P. 
people won't cancel church on Sunday if we argue the case out and vote. I say that if we argued the case, that the people would be rightly persuaded not to go along with the worthless, who would like to sit home and not do anything for the Lord. So we say at times, hey, you know what? That's, that's, that's what he's saying. He goes, he goes, who wants to side with the worthless men? Now listen, some of the weight that David carries, David carries, they go, I'm going with David, because they just like David. But others are going like, good argument. <laughs> good argument, I'm going. And so he's, gonna, he's not only going to argue the case, he's going to sit there and say, hey, let me ask you, who wants to side with these selfish men who are only interested in their own advantage? Let's argue it. Let's vote it. See, sometimes you need to isolate the ungodly, and I mean the ungodly, and say, sorry, that's not Jesus. Never was, never will be. And, th- and, then, and then in the argument, he says, we're going to divide alike. He that goeth down to battle shall be, p- be part with he that tarrieth at the baggage. He's basically saying, he goes, listen, they waited at the baggage because they couldn't. Couldn't is different than wouldn't. And you separate from those from who cannot versus those who will not. And then he does one more thing. In verse 25, he says, write it down into the law. And it was so from that day onward that he made it a statue and an ordinance from Israel to this day. Will someone please get out the stone tablets and, you know, I, we want this down in stone, that when people cannot, not would not, cannot do with what the rest can do, they are to be treated just like those who fought the battle. The warriors are no different than those who cannot. Put that down in stone. Why do you want to put it down? As st- we, we call it this, a church constitution. We call it policies and procedures. Why do, you ha- why do we have policies and procedures? Put it down because we want to make sure... We want to make sure that this is what we follow. The trouble is, there's always someone coming with a stone grinder. <laughs> David knows that. And so David says, we're going to make sure this is the procedure we follow from. In fact, we do that. you do that in your family. We have certain things down in stone. We still do it to this day. You had better have some things down in stone as you raise your children. For instance, this may just be us, but we don't start eating until everybody is ready to eat. So if you got your plate of food, you just wait till everybody gets their plate of food. You got dessert? You know, we got a brownie, we're putting ice cream. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Not everybody's got their brownie and ice cream yet. You do that? Some of you going, yeah. That's, your, that's the Martin's law, like stone. <laughs> now, one day they're going to start their own family, and if they want to change it, they can change it. But I'll tell you, it's in stone. And to this day, when we sit around the table, if it's at our house, and we're doing the answers, even if it's at other people's, not your house, but I mean other the kids' houses. I wouldn't stop you. In fact, if you've been there where you try to not eat but eat because you're not sure you're kind of, kind of, you know, should I nibble a little? Because you're not, you know, just not what you have, whatever. You know how it goes. But he's going to put it down in stone because he says this is the way it ought to be. We don't want this mentality. Now, all of us can find I've got six minutes left, but that's okay. All of us can find ourselves somewhere in that story. You're, I believe this. The overwhelming majority of us are Davids. We have that same heart. Ain't happening. That's not how we're doing it. Those who cannot are not going to be denied because they cannot. 
we're going to make the cannots equal to the cans. There are a lot of people who can, and there are some people who can't. Sometimes they can't financially. Sometimes they can't socially. Sometimes they can't do it because of emotional issues. Sometimes because of relational issues. Sometimes because the other spouse is not saved, and they have trouble giving like they'd like to give, but they cannot because of all these variables taking place. Sometimes they can't because of psychological difficulties they're struggling with in life and what took place. And they say, I, I just can't participate in that particular type of ministry. It just stirs up all. The answer is some people can't. They're going to be treated just like those who can and aren't there fighting hand to hand. I know the 400 men are going, man, we, listen, we risk our lives. No, God protected you. Get that straight. <laughs> That's what David says. Oh, it's not that they never risked their lives. They risked their lives. There were battles. Men died in battle. Men died in other battles. They died. They didn't leave every battle with no one dead. But this battle, they, every man and every, listen, and, listen, every wife, every child. And therefore, we're treating those who could not just like those who can and do. See, some of you, you fought some battles because there was a day and you could fight it. You go, I was strong, Tony. Tony used to lead music here for decades. There were people who came year after year who came just to see Tony, not me. They didn't care about the message. They wanted to see this guy on fire. <laughs> He'd lead music. They'd say, boy, that guy, I mean, that's what they would say to me going out. They wouldn't say great message, not that I was looking for that. They would say, boy, that guy's a good song leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. But you know what? There's a time in which you can't do but they are to be rewarded just like those who can do. Even though situations change and, and demands change and relationships change, the fact is it's not that they won't do it, it's that they cannot do it. And so some of you would identify, and I believe the majority of you would say, I'm, I'm with David. In fact, I was thinking the same, you might even said, I was thinking the same thing, David, like that's lousy. That's good. Some of you, maybe you're part of the warriors. You say, man, I do a lot around the church. I do a lot in my family. That's good. You can. As long as you can, go ahead and do it. That's why I gave you the strength. You're part of the 400. Some of you are the, maybe part of the 200. I, I, I used to. <laughs> I still try. I show up and shake hands. I, I try to encourage someone else. I'm not good at hand-to-hand -hand anymore, battle. <laughs> I, I'm not good at swinging the sword, but... I still try to make sure I, I, you know, I wet down the swords or whatever. I polish them or whatever. And maybe, maybe, I don't, I can't think of anyone, but maybe there's a few worthless people here. You're thinking like selfish. You see, see, that's what the issue is. They're worthless because they're selfish. And maybe there's even some standing in the middle, I imagine, listening to the argument of David and the worthless men. And they were going to kind of go along with the worthless men at one time, and they listened to it, and they go, nah, I'm with David. Maybe some are just in the middle, and they just need to hear the argument made. And when the argument's made, they're going, hmm, that's a pretty good argument to make. Turn the TV off. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's, it's not that I am immune from that same selfish spirit. I fight it like you fight it. Because it's the crux of our sin nature. Me, myself, and I. 
We fight that battle. I fight that battle. The heart, the center, the crux of our self-sinfulness is our selfishness. And it runs so deep, that selfishness runs so deep, that we can even during times of victory, times of rejoicing, times of abundance, times of relationships with those we fought together with, at times in which we can cut out other people who used to be our best friends and fought for us, that we can be so selfish just like this. And we can end up showing ourselves to be worthless in God's eyes. Basically, that's terrible. See, the scriptures show us David's talking because he says, do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that type of thinking and where it leads? Do you see how deep our selfishness can be? Do you see how self-centered we can be that we can even cut out those who have fought with us, battled with us, been part of the history Tony, and, uh, and listen, and so many others, Sam Lamont. We could go through the list, couldn't we, of people who are out there fighting shoulder to shoulder. We were up on the stage bounding nails with them. And God says, you know what? We share and share alike as long as you can't, not that you won't. We're treating you the same. See, th- that's, that's, that's God saying, you know what? Because David was a man after because that's God's heart. What would Jesus said had he heard that conversation? Same thing David said. Ain't happening. That might have been the end of it when he goes, ain't happening with Jesus. With David, though, he goes, I want to make the argument. And you need to make the argument. You need to remind yourself of the argument. Why? Why do we do what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? Because there's an argument to make. And we can go through what's taking place in America's churches today. There's an argument to make. Somebody ought to be making the argument of why we do what we do, why we live differently, why we think holiness matters, why does separation matter, why does living for Jesus matter, why does it matter that you talk to your, 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 your friend at work because you have a loved one who's lost. And if your lost loved one, salvation was dependent upon you talking to someone about Jesus, would they ever get saved? Because someone else is counting on you. That's the argument. That's part of the argument. And when you start making the argument and moving people because you want to argue the issue, because it's worth the argument, it's worth the public argument, it's worth saying, hey, you want to go with that? I say, this is where I stand. This is the where we're going. This is what we're doing. And when you make that argument, you know what? People like David, David attracted men. Because when you play kids' games, you attract kids. Go, go play outside, ring around the rosy, and see who joins you. Kids, and that's okay. But if you, wanna, if, you, if you want men, play a man's game, says David. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us. Help us get our thinking clear from Scripture. That's why we have it so we can think differently, so we can see life differently, so we can think the thoughts of God after him. Thank you for David and his life and his stand. Remind us even as we live out our week, and we pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.